Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning again. It's hour two of mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. If you missed any portion of Hour one, or you want to pass it along to someone else, you can do so a little bit later when the show is posted here at MyFaithRadio.com. The show notes will also be posted there as well. You can get those if you subscribe to the podcast, Mornings with Carmen, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, And so there you go. That's for those of you asking questions like, where do I get the show notes? Or how do I listen to a segment or pass it along to somebody else? There you go. There's the answer to your question. Um, So on this third day of this new year 2023 this might this might sound like a horribly morbid topic to lead off with but here here you go death comes death comes an average of 8000 people die in the united states of america every single day 8000 and every single one of them precious that's 8000 families friends coworkers neighbors communities. Sadly, it's not 8,000 churches because all 8,000 of those people won't be affiliated or associated with a church. But those of us who are affiliated with um, congregations, we know that death comes. We know that there are families and communities grieving. Catholics uh, around the world um, continue to um, observe and pay their respects, I think is the right language here, um, following the death of Pope Benedict XVI. Um, served as Pope from 2005 to 2013, died on New Year's Eve at the age of 95. Paul addressed it yesterday here on the show, if you want to listen to um, to those conversations. Pele, maybe the world's best-known soccer player for a generation. I saw Pele play in um, in Tampa, Florida, when I was a kid, Back in the days when we didn't have a football team, now called the Buccaneers, but we did have a soccer team called the Tampa Bay Rowdies. So I remember Pele was my introduction to professional sports, really was going to watch Pele play in Tampa Stadium against the Rowdies. Um, He will be laid to rest today in Brazil. Thousands of people have been paying respects to the one that there they call, quote unquote, the king. Um, Closer to home, maybe more well-known to many of us, Barbara Walters um, died on December the 30th. She was 93. Um, And last night, before a watching world, as the Buffalo Bills played the Cincinnati Bengals in a pivotal football game, a 24-year-old safety named Damar Hamlin collapsed on the field following what, you know, frankly looked like a fairly routine tackle Um, and his heart stopped. He went into what is called cardiac arrest. CPR was administered on the field. His teammates shielded him from public view. 
The game was indefinitely suspended. The Bills flew back to Buffalo this morning. And there's not really much information being released about Hamlin's condition other than they are saying he is sedated and listed in critical condition at the UC Medical Center in Cincinnati. Several of you have already texted this morning um, asking that we pray for this situation, Um, in part because you saw this as an opportunity last night during a professional football game to see public prayer. People were visibly praying in the stands. Um, Commentators were audibly praying. Prayers were being lifted up by people who were watching this unfold in real time. And we think about um, the ways in which God uses everyday experiences to call us to the reality of, of just how close we are next breath, in terms of our nearness to death itself. These are sobering moments, and they are moments of opportunity for Christians. Not for us to be, you know, preaching hellfire and damnation to our neighbors, but to be preaching the goodness and the grace of God and the offer that he holds out to each and every person. That not only can they live with him eternally, but they can live with him in relationship right now, restored through Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. It's what Easter is all about. It's what Faith Radio is all about. That's what we're doing here every single day, bearing positive public witness to the reality that God is and that God is good and that grace is available and that without him you were lost. Not only here and now, which you already know, but eternally. And we don't want that for anybody. So my guess is there's someone that you know and love um, who is grieving the death of someone in recent weeks, or that you know someone struggling right now with a life-threatening situation. In my church family, we're grieving the loss of a brother in Christ named Jim Becker. Um, He's got a family of, you know, three teenage boys and his wife, Leslie, um, He was diagnosed uh, with cancer just after Easter, and he died on Christmas Eve. Lots of families, lots of congregations, lots of communities grieving. And those who die in Christ, we're also celebrating, even in the midst of grief. So let me invite you to be gentle and kind today toward others. Life is difficult, and death comes. Let's be a people of prayer and a people of peace in the midst of it all. Dr. Jeff Barrows is going to join us next. I'm actually going to ask him to kind of explain to us, um, you know, what might have happened on this field of play last night to Damar Hamlin. And we'll also talk about some other health headlines as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Doctor, my eyes have seen the years and the slow parade of fears without crying. Doctor Jeff Barrows is back from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Good morning, Jeff. Happy New Year. Good morning, Carmen. Happy uh, 2023. I know. I keep. I keep saying it's. It's. I keep saying 22, and I'm. Gonna, it's going to take me a minute. It's going to take me a minute to get that. 2023. As yep. it will. As it will, all of us. I'm sure. So, um, 
so many people, so many people witnessed um, in real time what happened to DeMar Hamlin on the field of play last night during the game between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. Many, many more people have seen it now um, on YouTube or, you know, through a broadcast network that has shown the video footage. Um, He appears to engage in what for him is, you know, regular play. He's tackling a member of the opposing team. Um, you know, I, it's, it doesn't look like the worst hit I've ever seen in football. Um, you know, and yet he, and he gets up afterwards and then he literally collapses to the ground. Um, can you describe for us from, you know, a medical perspective when they say he experienced cardiac arrest, when we see them, you know, rushing in to administer CPR, when they talk about him being sedated and in critical condition, can you just help us understand what might be going on? Well, from what I can gather and looking at the episode, it appears that there was some type of an electrical problem. So I'm going to assume that DeMar Hamlin, otherwise, prior to this hit, has a completely normal heart and without any kind of underlying abnormality. And uh, apparently during the tackle, uh, he was he struck himself or was hit by a, a shoulder pad in the sternum, right on the chest. And it may have just gone in a little bit, enough to cause an electrical abnormality in the heart, which just briefly just stops the heart. Mm. Because the, the heart depends on an electrical impulse uh, every few seconds to, to contract a muscle. And this probably was a very unique, unusual uh, event that, that just caused the heart to stop. And of course, once the heart stops, it's not pumping blood to the critical organs and especially to the brain. So, so then he will collapse, go unconscious. And it sounds like that they figured that out fairly quickly and were able to start CPR. Uh, but CPR never does as good a job at getting heart or getting blood to the brain and to the other important organs. So he's now recovering in the hospital from this lack of oxygen. Uh, hopefully it was not very long, just uh, a minute or two at the most, and uh, and the impact on the rest of his organs as well. And we just, as you mentioned earlier, we need to be praying for him that he will recover. I, I would, I don't know whether he'd be able to return to football, whether he would want to return to, to football. Obviously, that remains to be seen. But from everything I can tell, this appears to have been a, a very strange electrical occurrence that aff- impacted the heart. Yeah, um, it looks like he was. I mean, according to things that I'm reading, you know, he, he remained down for 15 minutes. Nine of those minutes he was uh, receiving CPR, um, you know, including the use of an uh, automated external defibrillator. Um, he was intubated. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's a lot going on right there as they were administering oxygen. Um, so, again, uh, we've called people to be, you know, praying for the situation, not only for this young man, um, for his family, for all who love him, for his teammates, for everyone who witnessed it, but also for the opportunity that it gives us to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, the very serious reality that death comes. Um, and it comes unexpectedly, and it comes to those who are otherwise, you know, seemingly perfectly healthy. And we want to be a people who are prepared to talk about life and to, and to also to talk about death and to talk about the newness of life offered in Jesus Christ. So thank you, Jeff, for helping us do that today. We're talking with Dr. Jeff Barrows, 
from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the um, uh, a proposed new provider conscience rule that you'll want to be aware of if you're a medical provider um, or, you know, if you get medical provision from a medical provider. All those things are important. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Jeff Burrows from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Um, All right, Jeff, talk with us about what we need to know about this HHS conscience uh, proposed rule. Well, Carmen, I think I'll start out by just mentioning why this is so important for your listening audience to understand and I would start out by saying that they need to need to know that there's been a concerted effort by many powerful governmental agencies and medical groups like the American College of OBGYN to eliminate protections that allow Christian healthcare professionals to practice medicine without being forced into doing something that goes against their conscience, like performing an abortion or prescribing the chemicals that cause abortion. And unfortunately, these efforts have increased dramatically under the Biden administration. And so I want your listeners to understand that if these efforts are successful, it will force Christian healthcare professionals to choose between engaging in some evil act, such as assisted suicide, or quitting medicine altogether. And we have done several surveys of our members, and over 90% tell us that if they're put in a situation where they have to do something they perceive as evil, they would rather quit medicine altogether. So that means that there would be far fewer Christian and conscientious healthcare professionals that would be able to take care of your listeners if they're successful. So we need to be protecting the conscience uh, uh, freedoms of these healthcare professionals so that they can practice medicine the way they want to. So all of that background to say then that this last week on Thursday, uh, December 29th, HHS announced a change in a policy regarding the the conscience protections that are in place right now. And they we don't think it's any accident that they did this over the holidays. They didn't want much attention to be drawn to it. Uh, they're very smart that way. But in essence, this new change removes the conscience protections that were put into place in 2019 by Health and Human Services under the Trump administration. It was a great rule that they put into place with some uh, ability to, to uh, protect healthcare professionals professionals' ability to to put teeth into the laws that already exist. And unfortunately, now this current administration is going to remove those. So it's going to make it more difficult for Christian physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs, and even others like pharmacists to engage uh, and to, to refuse to engage in certain evil acts. So that's the bad news. The good news is that there is something your listeners can do. Uh, HHS is required to put these changes up for public comment 
for 60 days. And that will happen sometime this week when this change is published in the Federal Register, which is the official government record. And so your listeners, they don't have to be healthcare professionals. They can go online and make comments on this. Uh, and we'll be putting a link to that comment on our website at cmda.org once these changes are published. And, and so I would just encourage your listeners, if you value having a healthcare professional who's conscientious and you don't want them to be engaged, uh, for instance, to go to an OBGYN for your prenatal care, knowing that that same OBGYN does abortions on one day of the week, I- I'm sure many of your listeners would rather find a pro-life physician or healthcare professional. So if that's something that's important to you, I would just encourage you to go to that link and put in a comment so that you can tell HHS that you are not, uh, this, this change is not favorable to you. Okay, so that is really helpful. Um, and I think that, Jeff, when we talk about this, um, part of the challenge that I face is is the language. Um, and so when I see, you know, the HHS saying that it's going to strengthen conscience and religious non-discrimination, um, I might gloss over that and say, well, that's good. That sounds like a good thing. Um, it's entitled Safeguarding the Rights of Conscience as Protected by Federal Statutes. I mean, it's it's... Um, it's a, the language is manipulative and would lead me as, um, an uninformed person to just gloss over that and think, you know, there's, this is a good thing that's happening. In fact, it's the reversal of a good thing, um, making it a bad thing. And so if you want the links to this, they're going to be in the show notes, um, for today. And we'll also keep you updated, um, as CMDA posts updates as well. Um, we, we will absolutely circle back around to this and be sure that within the next 60 days, we help people engage on this particular topic. Um, you know, folks often ask, Hey, what as a Christian can I do? How can I, how can I help? This would be one of those, um, very concrete ways that you can engage directly, um, you know, in, in an unfolding process. Jeff, let's, uh, let's take a minute and, um, and just talk a little bit about, you know, it is a new year. Lots of people make quote unquote resolutions. Um, I don't know. What do you, what, what do you have to say about that? And if there are things about our lives that we want to change, um, you know, how might you encourage us from a health perspective to actually do that? Well, I, I do think it's it's a good time of the year because I, if we're honest with ourselves and we look closely at what we're doing in our life, I think all of us can find some way to make improvements in our physical as well as our emotional and spiritual health. Uh, but the problem is, is that if it's not done correctly, it can become a source of frustration, anxiety, disappointment, and even with some people, self-incrimination. So it's interesting that a poll by the American Psychiatric Association found that one in four Americans cite New Year's resolutions as a source of their anxiety. So I would encourage your listeners to, to really look at their lives and, and maybe pick one way that they can improve their physical, emotional, or spiritual health, and be careful to make a realistic resolution, because there are two common problems with with New Year's re- resolutions. The first is that people make unrealistic resolutions. They, they go way beyond what they're capable of doing. And the second is they typically do it with the wrong motivation, and that is, you know, to make others think better of them, rather than being convinced that this change will make you a better person or a better Christian. Uh, and so it's important to make the right decision. I recommend using the acronym ACT, ACT, 
And the A means it's attainable. It's something that you can do. It's you don't want you want to start slow. You don't want to make a big step. You can increase it over time. C stands for it's controllable. It's something you have under your control. In other words, you can't make someone else fall in love with you. That's not under your control, but you can spend more devotional time with God, for instance. And then the T stands for time specific. You want to you want to lay out how often for how long are you going to be doing this. And when it comes to devotional time, if you're not spending any devotional time with the Lord, maybe start out with two days a week for 15 minutes and then be willing over several months to increase that over time. And you can improve your success if you challenge a friend to join you. So just remember the vast majority of New Year's resolutions involve making new habits. And once you keep doing that activity for six weeks, it does become a habit. That's so good. Um, Jeff, as always, thank you so much. We look forward to our continued conversations with you and others from CMDA um, ac- uh, across the year ahead. We already have listeners who are texting in looking um, looking forward to um, you know ongoing information related to this HHS proposed conscience uh, rule change. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for keeping us abreast of that and letting us know when the public comments are open. Carmen, always a pleasure to be with you, and thank you for what you're doing as well. I just appreciate your show and, and all you're trying to accomplish. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. That's Dr. Jeff Barrows. You can find him at cmda.org. We're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. When you think about um, human beings as image bearers of the living God, you think of those who will be born in this year, 2023, and those who will be reborn, for whom this will be the year of the Lord in a particularly precious way. I want to talk about life, and I want to talk about the protection of life. Um, We're going to talk with Leah Savas next um, from World News Group. And she's the Vitals editor there. She writes on the what I will describe as the life or the abortion beat in America. She is the co-author with uh, Marvin Alasky of The Story of Abortion in America, A Street-Level History. Um, but I also want to say in advance, I anticipate this conversation is going to be very sensitive for those who have experienced abortion. If you have um, an abortion experience let me just go ahead and tell you that um, this is um, this is a street level conversation. It's a conversation with which you will already be aware because it's your lived experience. But I also recognize um, that reliving that experience is newly painful, and so um, I want to say that out loud. I also want to say to those of you who are listening, maybe alongside some little ears, um, this may be a conversation that is uh, more appropriate for middle school, high school, college age, and above. Um, This may not be a conversation that is appropriate for the littlest ears among us. And so you might want to put your um, AirPods in, or you might want to listen to this later, um, rebroadcast as a podcast, which you can always find at MyFaithRadio.com. I anticipate this being one of the most important conversations we're going to have in 2023. Leah Savas joins us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. 
welcoming Leah Savas to Mornings with Carmen. Leah is the LifeBeat reporter for World News Group. Um, she uh, resides in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She tweets at Leah Savas, S-A-V-A-S. She is the co-author of The Story of Abortion in America, a street-level history, 1652 to 2022. Leah, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hi, Carmen. Thanks for having me. So you report um, on these topics and these issues in an ongoing way um, at, at World um, News Group, WNG.org. So I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for the roundup that you do um, called Vitals. If you guys are looking for it, it's at WNG.org. Um, let's uh, let's jump in. The story of abortion in America, this particular collaborative work that you did with Marvin Alasky, um, this is not a history book in the traditional sense. So can you describe to people the project that the two of you have undertaken here? Yeah, in writing this book, we wanted to tell the story of abortion in America by telling the stories of people who have been affected by abortion, who have made decisions that have affected others on the abortion issue. So you can tell pretty much right away from reading the opening chapters Um we just want to focus on individual people. The opening chapters talk about specific cases from colonial America, um, people like Captain William Mitchell, um, a servant named Susan Warren. And in those opening chapters, you hear about their stories. In particular, the story is of a forced abortion. Captain Mitchell forces Susan Warren to take an abortifacient patient when she's pregnant with his child. Um, and then you hear the outcome of that in the chapter. In the coming chapters, we obviously this spans several uh, decades, centuries. Um, so we're covering a lot of space here, but we wanted to tell the stories to show what was the common sense, what was the common belief of people in early America. And as as America continued into Roe v. Wade, and even after that, what did people on the ground really think and do on the abortion issue? Not just what did the law book say, but what did people think and do? Yeah, the opening chapters are, um, <clears throat> I mean, they're they're breathtaking in uh, in the descriptions, um, in the frankly, in the open mockery of God at some points by some people, like mm. um, you know, and the. Um, it's an it is a those parts of the book are fascinating. I want to fast forward to um the last ten chapters because I know those are the chapters that you um personally are most heavily invested in um mm-hmm. and i want to I want you to help us because one of the things that you guys are doing here um is dealing from what you're calling street level when many many times what we get in terms of reporting on abortion in America is from what you're calling the sweet level. Like it's from the level of the law or professors or um, people making some kind of public uh, public policy related to abortion. And in reality, abortion is the lived experience of millions of Americans. And when mm. you talk about street level, that's what you're talking about. So take us to the street level um, in, you know, the last 50 years. Yeah. So, um, one of the big things in the final chapters that I specifically wrote about in those chapters had to do with just the founding of pregnancy centers, how pregnancy centers, pro-life pregnancy centers kind of expanded 
um, in recent years, especially since the early 90s. Um, and in the opening in opening paragraphs of chapter 41, I tell the story of a pro-life doctor um, from India. She um, was the medical director of the first medical pregnancy center in um, um, the United States. And that and I tell her story how she how she um, she saw an abortion when she was in India, seeing this abortion, seeing a baby come out of his mother's womb, that really awakened her to the reality of what abortion does, what it is, and it was that that image of a baby dying on a medical tray that really motivated her decision to ultimately get involved on the abortion issue to open a pregnancy center to serve women who are going through difficult unplanned pregnancies hearing her story was and i i these uh these paragraphs are just based on interviews i had with her hearing her story was gripping to me just knowing that she saw this firsthand she saw the street level reality of what abortion was it wasn't just a concept to her. It was a real reality. And she wanted to help prevent that from happening in the lives of other women. Um, and the encouraging thing, too, about her story is that she um, she's a believer. She would bring the gospel into conversations with women. Women would come to her just desperate, like, please give me some reason why I can get an abortion. I, I feel like this is the only way I can fix my problem. And she told them, you know, she would tell them what God has to say about this. What does God have to say about an abortion? What does he, how does he see this? And I see that similar theme in other conversations that I had that also make an appearance in these final chapters of women who, who just needed to hear God's perspective on the abortion issue. Um, and thankfully, when you actually see an abortion happen like this one, like this one doctor did, you you it helps you understand God's perspective on this because you can see that this is a human being that the abortion um it doesn't just affect a mother. There there are two, there are two people involved in any abortion, you know, sometimes more like with the abortionist, but there's always that baby. That baby is affected by this abortion. We can't lose sight of that baby because um that's a a creature created in God's image, and we can't discount its right to life just like any other person. One of the things I, I really appreciated um, about this conversation, um, particularly chapter 41 that you're describing right now, window to the womb. I mean, when I read window to the womb, I'm thinking 4D ultrasound technology. I'm thinking the near photographic pictures that people post on, you know, on their social media feeds, sharing, you know, the sharing their uh, positive pregnancy news, you know, little children holding holding that ultrasound photograph, um, you know, s declaring that I'm going to be a big sister, I'm going to be a little sister, or I'm going to be a big brother, big sister. Um, but even this conversation about ultrasound technology has a start, and that begins with this conversation for other people to see what doctors know is true, um, and for the general public to be able to see um, what the medical community 
already knows is true and that that is a human being and it has it has already developed to the point where you can recognize it as a human being um and being able to see more and more and earlier and earlier um is the part of the conversation that you unpack here um in this chapter and it it occurs to me that you know like right somebody had to be first um, to use somebody had to be first to want to develop an ultrasound. Somebody had to be first to use it. Somebody had to be first to advocate for it. Somebody had to be the one that worked to um, develop the technology and make it more widely available um, and and offer it. And now today across the country, people have to be advocating for the use of ultrasound as a part of legislation. And so, just so you guys get a window into what the what the book includes. When we're talking about the story of abortion in America, it is still a story that is developing in real time. Um, and so it's a look back at what um, the story of abortion has been in America, but it's also a look at the present day and a window into the future. We're going to continue our conversation with Leah um, Savas here in just a moment. She's the co-author of The Story of Abortion in America, A Street-Level History, along with Marvin Olasky. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. So speak life, speak life, to the deadest, darkest night. Speak life, speak life, when the sun won't shine and you don't know why. For continuing our conversation with Leah Savas um, from World News Group. She's the Vitals editor She's also the co-author of the book we're talking about today, The Story of Abortion in America, A Street-Level History, 1652 to 2022. Um, Leo, when we talk about real time, most of us um, remember a day when we would not have, we would not have known, nor would we have been able to have a conversation in public about something called partial birth abortion. Um, but we live in a day and time when that's actually regularly practiced. Um, language matters. Part of what you guys do from the very beginning of the book to the very end um, is you say hard things. You use real words and quotes to um, describe people and the circumstance of their very, very, very brief life terminated within or partially outside the womb. Can you talk with us about um, what you learned about abortion in the writing of this book? Yeah, um, I guess one big thing that I learned was just how long it's been going on. I think we've heard pro-abortion advocates talk about how abortion has been around as long as women could get pregnant. But when you actually read these stories in, in the book, starting from the 1650s in colonial America, it hits you that, yeah, it's true. I mean, this really has been going on for a long time. 
Um, there, there have been women forced into abortions um, for centuries. Those are the early cases that we talk about in um, this book of like um, different colonial women like um, Susan Warren, like I mentioned earlier. Um, but there are also there abortions overall just have become so accepted to today. Whereas in the time of Susan Warren, like the early colonial abortions that we we read about in this book, overall, once those happened, um, the women just would be devastated. Like these were forced abortions. The the men would go on trial for murder for forcing these abortions on these women for murder, you know, and that's before ultrasound technology. They knew what they were doing. They knew what abortion was even early on. So I think just how abortion advocates say that, you know, abortion has been going on for as long as women can get pregnant. Um, we can also say that people have known it's wrong for for a long time, for much longer than we would expect. Even in the 1800s, there were doctors who asserted that life begins at conception. And you can read about this in the book. Doctors who who knew about the reality of unborn life, even though maybe not everyday people knew about it because ultrasound technology wasn't as common. That was knowledge that was prevalent among doctors, even in the 1800s. So I think it just reminds me of Romans 1, just of knowing how people know the truth, but they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So I think this is a good opportunity, this book, to wake people up to the truth of unborn life and what people have known for centuries about abortion. Chapter 47 is the abortion industrial complex. There's a lot of people um, making a lot of money um, killing unborn Americans specifically. Uh, And when we think about an industrial complex, it's terrifying to think that we have an abortion industrial complex. As you cover the, the life beat for world, I'm I'm wondering if um, maybe on the other end of life, you see the very active development of the euthanasia industrial complex as well. Yeah, that has definitely been a part of my reporting over the last couple of years. Unfortunately, just because abortion has been so much in the headlines, especially this last year, um, I do not spend as much time on it, but it is crazy seeing how many um, countries, how many states um, in other countries, as well as in the United States, are moving towards this legalized euthanasia and legal killing. You know, we hear stories coming out of Canada specifically where people feel pressured to to end their own lives because their quality of life isn't great. They feel like they're a burden or because they can't afford their apartment. You know, these are actual stories coming out and um, it's overall cheaper in some ways for someone to die than to be on certain treatments for a long time. But really that's not the point. Like God doesn't, God doesn't give cost as a standard for whether someone deserves to live or die. Like, as uh, as humans, we should be supporting other humans, regardless of their quality of life. We should be we should be um, entrusting their future to the Lord rather than taking their future into our own hands. We should be serving them and helping them and loving them. So yeah, it is kind of crazy seeing the, both of these 
complexes kind of expand simultaneously, but through obviously through different means. Um, but yeah, I definitely have seen that. Um, Leah, we look forward to talking with you um, more over time. I hope you have the availability and interest in doing that. This is this is a subject matter area that um, we need we need to learn to talk about, and we need to learn to talk about it at the street level. And you um, and Marvin have helped us do that with the story of abortion in America, a street level history. Um, but we're going to need ongoing help, uh, not only to understand the issues, but then to sort of find our feet in the conversations of the day, because ultimately, as you guys have demonstrated, these are personal stories. These are mm-hmm. stories of real real men and women making real decisions about whether or not children are going to be allowed to live. Um, mm-hmm. And those are hard decisions. And you write this from a pro-life perspective, but you also write it um, very, very, with very, very honest content um, in terms of those whose view is different than your own. And so I want to want to thank you um, for the way that you report in an ongoing way at World um, on these topics. But I, I want to especially thank you for um, for the work you've done on this book. It's, it, it is excellent. Thank you so much, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is Aaliyah Savas. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that um, we can have an ongoing conversation with her in the weeks and months to come. The book is The Story of Abortion in America, A Street-Level History. Leah co-authors it with our friend Marvin Olasky. You can find her at World News Group, WNG.org. I encourage you to check out um, the podcast that she's engaged in there. You're going to hear excellent content there, as well as the articles that she's posting on a regular basis. Leah, um, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much, Carmen. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Whatever you do, just don't look back. Somebody needs a lot to have. All right, for those of you asking, and thank you um, for engaging on the text line today, the text line is open again, 877-933-2484. If you would be so kind when you uh, when you text in the first time, um, to tell me your name, uh, that would be super helpful since our text line has forgotten everything that it knew prior to December the 18th <clears throat> when it died. But it lives again, and so that is a joyful news. So remember, 877-933-2484. Um, yes, for those of you looking for the book, um, Abortion in America, it hits uh, it hits the street today. So abortion... You're looking for the story of abortion in America, a street-level history. I will put the links in the show notes for today, which you can get as soon as the show is posted at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts, which you should be subscribed to Mornings with Carmen, wherever you subscribe to your podcast. That way you never miss an episode. All right, we'll see you right back here tomorrow. Great day. God bless. Are we done? What's happening? Okay, so this would be evidence that um, I have lost track of myself um, in the time that we've been apart. There you go. Um, So here will be my encouragement at the conclusion of this hour, and I don't have to say it quite as quickly. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace is going to be my word for the year. You're going to hear me use it a lot. You're going to hear me make reference to it frequently. I'm going to seek to cultivate it in my own life. I'm going to seek to sow it everywhere I go. 
So peace, 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 not as the world gives, but as Christ alone can give. Don't give people another piece of your mind. They don't need that. What they need is the very peace of the mind of Christ. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.